We're going to take a look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18 this morning. Talk about what it means to be strong in the Lord. It's always difficult to drop into a section of of verses. That's why we typically preach expositionally here, verse by verse, book by book. That way you get the background along with the continuity. So before I begin, I want to lay a little bit of background. The first three chapters of Ephesians are very doctrinal in nature. In, In the last three chapters... Paul will lay the biblical groundwork for how to live then as Christians. In chapter 4, he tells us how we're to interact with the body of Christ and all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another, loving one another. In chapter 5, Paul speaks of how we should walk as Christians, not in the darkness as we formerly did, but in the light as new creatures. In in the second half of chapter 5, he talks about the relationship between husbands and wives, wives submitting to husbands, husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for the church. In chapter 6, you see the relationship between children and parents. You have uh, children obeying their parents, fathers disciplining their children in love. In verses 5 to 9 of chapter 6, you see the relationship between slaves and owners, slaves obeying their masters, masters treating their slaves as Christ treats us. So as John Stott says, you have the purposes of God in the first five chapters of Ephesians, then you have the existence of the devil who is opposed to those purposes in chapter 6. So that brings us to our focus this morning. Please turn to Ephesians 6. And we'll start in verses 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and and shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. I believe the key to this section of Scripture is being able to grasp those first two verses. Verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. And then verse 11 Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So what does it mean to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might? Our strength should be in the Lord. In and of ourselves, we are weak. Jesus himself knew as he was drawn into the desert by the Holy Spirit that he needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit that his best weapon was the word of God. 
and we need to know that as well. We're in a battle. We're in the midst of a war. It's a war that sometimes is hard to see, but nonetheless, it is there. It is a spiritual war as well as a physical war. It is spot on, fought on a, on a spiritual plane. I think sometimes if this war were more visible, it might be easier for us to, to see the war. It might be easier for us to, to put on our armor. I was driving down from L.A. last week and drove through Camp Pendleton. I noticed that the Marines had built some makeshift town to resemble the towns that they fight in in Iraq. And they prepare themselves for battle. They make themselves ready. They make sure that they have their armor on, that their weapons are ready, that their weapons are, are mighty to wage the war that they're in. We should do nonetheless... I didn't serve in the military, but I played a lot of football growing up. And if I ever went into a game without my uniform on, I would get laughed at. In fact, when I played Pop Warner when I was a little tyke, uh, you couldn't play without your uniform. They, your uniform was checked by the referee before the game to make sure you had every piece and every piece was fitted properly all the way down to your mouthpiece. And if you didn't have the, the proper uniform, they, they would sit you down for the game. That's how important it is to have the correct equipment. As Christians, we need to be prepared for the battle. We need to be dressed for action. Our lamps need to be full of oil. We need to be ready. Our weapons, the weapons we have at our disposal are mighty. And the armor that we wear out to battle is is critical. The enemy is Satan. And our objectives are to fulfill God's commandments. Our power is in the Holy Spirit. And in God's word. In Ephesians 6.10, Paul says, Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. We have no sufficient strength of our own. If we go into battle in our own strength, if we go to battle in the flesh, we're sure to be defeated. David was in the midst of a battle with the Amalekites. And their wives and their children had been taken captive The people were weeping, and they were crying out with loud voices. In 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, it says, David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. Because all the people were bitter in soul, and for each his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the might of the Lord. When David was at his lowest point, he remembered his God. He, he stood up and he fought. He stood on the faithful promises of his God, and a great victory was given to David that day. 1 Corinthians sixteen thirteen says, Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. We need to be on guard. We should never underestimate the battle that we are engaged in. We need to maintain our integrity, have sound judgment, and be mature in our actions. Exodus 14, 13 to 14, which we just studied a couple weeks ago. Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you only have to be silent. 
The Israelites were in great fear. They had already forgotten with what a mighty hand they had been delivered from the hand of the Egyptians. We tend to forget in the same way how God has delivered us as he's brought us through trials and temptations in the past. We get blinded by our present situation and forget that he has promised not to put us in a situation that we would be unable to endure. The Israelites had just been given a great victory as they were released from their bondage to the Egyptians for 430 years. They were released from their slavery to go serve the Lord, just as they had asked. Yet they had already forgotten with what a mighty hand they had been delivered from the hand of the Egyptians. Do we do the same thing when we face trials? 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with each but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That is a great promise. Again, from our study a couple of weeks ago in Exodus, there was a shorter route for the Israelites to take, but that would bring them through the land of the Philistines, and God knew that they would be unable to endure that route. So he led them by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea, and even then they thought that they were trapped only to die in the desert. But of course, God was there as he led them through the Red Sea. Many times it takes for us to come to the end of ourselves before we reach out to God. For the Israelites, they had nowhere to go. They were penned in, the Egyptians behind them, the Red Sea in front of them. It should be comforting to know that the path we are on is God's chosen, no matter, no matter the path. The things that we encounter the testings and the trials are all for our good, that we may be shaped, conformed in the image of God's Son. 1 Peter 5, 6-10. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The devil is the enemy of God. He wants to hinder the work of God. And in the, in the life of the Christian, he wants to hinder our effectiveness. He does this in many different ways. He tries to undermine God's character and credibility, causing us not to trust in him. He attempts to confuse the believer with false doctrine. He attempts to hinder effective service for God, our good works. He desires to cause division within the body. He leads us to trust in our, in, in our own resources and in our own strength. I'll speak about that a little bit more later. He attempts to cause us to be hypocritical, phony, masked, not allowing anyone to help and not receiving help when needed. He, make, he makes us materialistic, self-focused, loving the world that we live in. So how do we resist all these infections of the enemy? 
How are we to be strong in the Lord? And how are we to put on the whole armor of God? The armor is there. It's there for us to put on. The battle is waging. And the first piece of that armor is the belt of truth. The belt of truth is the girdle that holds together all the other armor parts. Truth is the integrating force in the life of the Christian. We are to be girded with truth. It is what restrains us. You must know the truth, and that truth is Christ. It is his word that indwells us. Satan is a liar and deceiver. It is the truth of God that defeats him. Against the word of God, Satan has no defense. I want to share a quote from Charles Hodge. He says, Truth alone, abiding in the mind, in the form of divine knowledge, can give strength of confidence, even in the ordinary conflicts of the Christian life, and much more in any really evil day. We are in that evil day today. We need that strength. The second piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate covers the neck from the waist, both front and back, from the neck to the waist, both front and back. It covers our vital organs, and it shelters our heart. The righteousness of Christ is our protection. Christ's perfect righteousness covers and accounts for our failure in upholding God's perfect standard of righteousness. Satan wants to attack us in these areas also. The way we think and the way we feel. He wants to fill our minds with false information. He wants to cloud our thinking. He wants to twist our affections and distort our feelings towards others. He wants us to misinterpret evil, sear our conscience, and break down the will. When Satan accuses the believer, it is the righteousness of Christ that assures us of our salvation. But our positional righteousness without practical righteousness in our daily life only gives Satan the opportunity to attack us. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we are not walking in the light, we give Satan opportunity to attack. If you're in deep habitual sin, then you open the door to that prowling lion. Repent, turn to Christ, who is able to forgive and strengthen you. The third piece of armor are the shoes of the gospel. They provide protection to the feet. They have metal cleats so that one is able to stand in the battle. It is a call to stand firm in the truth that we know, to stand firm in the gospel. Be be assured of your salvation and whose you are. Going back to the football analogy, if you went into a game without cleats, it wouldn't be long before you'd be flat on your back and very vulnerable. You need need to have your, your shoes on. A Roman soldier's feet were strapped into a boot uh, like a in a like manner with spikes to give traction. Feet shod with preparation means to be made ready or equipped, shod for the battle. The issue here is to stand against the devil with the good news of the gospel of peace. Romans 5, 1 to 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ 
Through him, we also have, have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have peace with God. We're reconciled. We are saved. Revelation 12.10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. The devil does accuse us day and night. But we stand firm having conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. We stand on the truth that we have peace with God through Christ. The next piece of armor is the shield of faith. The shield was typically two foot wide by four foot long. It consisted of thick wood uh, covered with, with leather or metal. This was for protection of fiery darts from the enemy, which were usually dipped in, in oil so that they would burn long and hot. We already know that Satan is a liar and a deceiver. He also accuses us before God, and it is also Satan that tempts us. The shield protects us from the fiery darts of temptation, temptations of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Proverbs 35 says, He is a shield to those who put their trust in Him. Psalm 1830, He is a shield to all who trust in Him. The shield is that which quenches those fiery darts and makes them inconsequential. The enemy's arrows are lies and deception. He tries to sway our affections away from God and to other things, things that are temporal, things that are fleeting, things that are earthly. Satan's original lie to Adam and Eve was, has God really said? And he uses that question, that very deceptive question, over and over again in our lives. Believing is putting all your weight on God and his word. Faith is to, to consider the evidence of things not yet seen and the substance of things hoped for. Another piece of armor is the helmet of salvation. You are to never go into battle without your, your helmet, without your head covered. It'll protect your head from that very fatal blow. Our minds need to be protected since it is our thinking that Satan attacks. 2 Corinthians 11.3, But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. The devil distracts us from the things of God. He draws our attention away from being fully devoted to Christ. Romans 12.2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So as a believer, our thinking has changed. Our minds have been renewed. We're no longer to conform to the world and its passions. If sin entices us, we must not consent. 
I believe the greatest challenge to the American Christian today is not persecution from the world, but the seduction of the world. I think of those that are being persecuted around the world right now, and I can't help um, pray for them and, and have a heavy heart for them. But we are also being drawn in, and, and yet even a, a more subtle way, as we're seduced by the world, we are constantly being bombarded with unimportant distractions. If Satan can find a way to keep us from a true worship of God, he, he will. There's three aspects of our salvation. There's the past, there's the present, and the future. In the past, we have been freed from the penalty of sin, Romans 6.23. Presently, we are free from the power of sin, Romans 8.1. In the future, we will be free from the very presence of sin, glory. Revelation 22, when death is no more, neither will there be sin. We are also saved to a hope. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 4, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. We are saved to a hope, and that hope is in Christ. The last piece of armor is the sword of the Spirit. This is the unwritten, infallible, inerrant word of God. It is infallible, Psalm 19, 7 says God's word will never fail us. God's word converts the the soul, restoring the man to God. It is inerrant. Proverbs 35, every word of God proves true. It is complete. Revelation 22, 18 and 19, God's word is perfect. It revives the soul. It is also authoritative. Matthew 7, verses 28 to 29. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The word of God is also sufficient. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, complete, equipped for every good work. Matthew 4, 4, the man man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. The Bible is being attacked in this day and age in every one of those areas. Spent some time last week with some godly men up at the Shepherds Conference, John MacArthur's church. And it's hard for us to see that the Bible is being attacked. Um, We all understand that the the Bible is inerrant, it's authoritative, it's infallible, 
it's, it's sufficient. But not everybody believes that way. So be ready to defend the word of God if that question ever comes up. It's, um, that question is out there, and it's always been out there. Jesus himself used the word of God during his altercation with the devil in the desert. He was prepared and fitted with the word of God for the fight. How do we think we are in any less need as we fight the battle on a daily basis? We need to know the word of God. It is our sword. It is our our tool. It is the power of God in our lives to combat the devil, to fight the fight. He was also full of the Holy Spirit, and he was armed to resist even the worst of temptations. He understood that the battle was spiritual, and his weapon was mighty. He used the sword in a very specific way when he answered Satan's accusations. He said over and over, it is written, was his answer, as should be ours. Jesus' actions are an example to us that the word of God is authoritative, Sufficient to battle the war that is waged upon our souls. Know the word of God. Believe the word of God. Study the word of God. uh, But believe it unto obedience. It's not enough just to know it. We need to become doers of the word of God. The very uh, last section, the last verse, Ephesians 6.18 says we are to be praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Our secret resource is prayer. It is prayer that is the weapon that we cannot go to battle without. What makes prayer so important is that it can be used at any time. In our weakest state, we are to cry out to God, in our time of need. In any circumstance, we should know that God's strength and God's wisdom are at our disposal. And we pray knowing that we will receive if we pray according to the will of God. We're to pray with all prayer and supplication. That focuses on the type of prayer. We're to pray always. It focuses on the frequency. And I'll just read a few scriptures here since there's so many. Romans 12, 2, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray without ceasing. We're also to pray in the Spirit. It focuses on submission as we line up our will to the will of God. Romans 8, 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We're also to pray being watchful. It focuses on the manner in which we are to pray. Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. For indeed, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We're to pray with all perseverance. 
focuses on the persistence of prayer. Luke eleven nine, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Luke 18, 7 to 8. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And then we're to pray for the saints. It focuses on the object of our prayer. 1 Samuel twelve twenty three. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. I'm going to ask one. I'm going to add one last thought here. I have the privilege of listening to Ian Murray on, on Friday. What a godly saint of a man. But he had a very, very great word of wisdom. This is his thought, but I'm going to add some commentary. His thought was, be careful to praise men. Uh, we do that more than we think we do. It's one of the devil's best lies to make us think that we're better than we really are. He wants us to become complacent in our Christian walks, to coast, to stop pressing forward, to stop running the race, almost to think that we've, we've arrived. When we make much of others, we give praise to men rather than to God, and men will start believing that praise. And therein lies the danger. If you keep telling some, someone something, eventually they will start to believe that. On the other hand, when we are weak, Christ is strong. The Lord is my strength. He is my salvation. So be careful when, when, you, when you praise men. Praise, praise God. Give, give God the glory. So in summing it up, the battle, it's a real battle. The battle is both spiritual and physical. We need to be prepared for that battle. We need to be strong in the Lord. We need to remember to put on our armor, to stand firm against the attacks of the devil. We need to know the word of God and be filled with the Holy Spirit and be always in prayer. One last verse, James 4, 7 to 8, says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Where do we start? We start by submitting ourselves to God. We don't start by resisting the devil. We submit ourselves to God. God draws near to us as we draw near to him. The battle is real. The war is waging. Be prepared. Be in prayer. Be in the word. I'm going to close with a, uh, one of my favorite verse from one of my favorite hymns. There was a man that probably fought this fight more than any of us ever will. And his name was Martin Luther. He wrote a, a great hymn that we all know. I'm just going to recite one verse. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side the man of God's own choosing. Thus ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, 
it is he. Lord Sabbath, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. Amen?